Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Spoiler Warning Podcast, where we're going to be recapping the films that we saw at the 2021 South by Southwest Film Festival. I'm Christopher Schneezy. I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week on the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest films coming to a streaming platform near you. Of course, as I mentioned, except for this week, where uh, we're talking about things that technically were available to you if you wanted to buy a pass for this. Um, this is one of the festivals that, like, seemed pretty pretty just wide open, plenty of space. Like, I think there was only a few films that that... Of the limited bunch, there's only a few films that I actually saw sell out during the time we were there. Yeah. Um, so this festival is basically just open to everybody if you happen to have free time right smack dab in the middle of a week <laughs> to be able to watch yep. these films. Um, or you have enough of a pain tolerance to just stay up late and do it even if you don't have free time. <laughs> yeah, that is true, too. I didn't mean to imply that we had the free time, uh, but it was a lot of late nights and a lot of early mornings. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think, I think Steven and I had fun, um, recording our sort of full festival, um, review for Sundance. So we thought we'd do it again. <laughs> We're back. We're talking about a full festival. Are you excited for this, Steven? Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I'm so excited. <laughs> I, it, it's interesting because this, um, because this was smacked out in the middle of a week and I didn't have any weekend days of watching things, South by Southwest felt m- more exhausting to me but then when i look at the movies we're talking about i definitely remember them better than i remembered sundance because there wasn't as much blur of cramming so many things together yeah Um, so I, i was like more exhausted viewing this time around but i think my brain was still able to reset better than in those like seven movies a day weekend days of sundance when i was just like completely unable to distinguish one movie from the other yeah yeah that was that was a little crazy i mean here it was still like i was still trying to do five a day but it wasn't five straight films it was like two early in the morning before work and then three in the evening and then get up and try to to do it again um so it was definitely i like i never had more than three films in a row that i was doing and even in the evening because one of the things that was lucky about this this year's festival is like mostly everything was like 80 90 minutes um, which was very mm-hmm. nice because it meant that like you could watch two back to back then take a little break, watch one more before bed and then get up and watch two. And it was, it was kind of like, how am I fitting so much in without it feeling as gnarly as it did for Sundance? But it was still still tough. Yeah, you could you could basically watch three movies in the time it takes to watch the Snyder Cut. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is 100 percent true. And we'll probably talk about that more when we get to our review of the Snyder Cut. Um, yep. But yeah, do you, do you want to just give Stephen your kind of thoughts in general about this festival compared to others and just kind of like what you thought about the event in general yeah it's interesting i did feel like because south by southwest is not just a movie festival like it is a music festival and a comedy festival and a weird linkedin type thing like it's it's so many things like shoved together (laughs) um i found it a little confusing going into south by southwest to know like what are we doing you know i found that even the film schedule is kind of buried like whenever i wanted to go back and look at what was opening when i felt like i had to click like eight times to like get navigate back to the page that would tell me what i wanted to know yeah um so from an organization standpoint like i get it they're not centering the films the way sundance would but sundance did it like a hundred times better like I, i felt like it was just way more fluid at sundance when they were like here's what you need to know here's how you watch things enjoy um this felt much more like digging in and being surprised when a movie worked for me um in terms of the quality of the films it's interesting because i think this is very much 
like a lot of Steven movies. Like I, I think historically a lot of movies I have liked have premiered at South by Southwest. Uh, like it tends to be the, the heartfelt indie, like the thing that Sundance used to be before Sundance became like huge. Right. Yeah. Um, South by, I think has filled that void. Um, this year, though, I think the combination of that and the pandemic has meant it is very small, right? Like, all the films felt small. Very few of them felt like things that they were buzz about entering. It was very rare that a movie was coming out at South by Southwest this year that I was like, oh, we have to catch that. Everyone is going to be talking about it. It really felt like, yeah, I can click any of these and I will probably have an okay time, but I will. Un- <laughs> it'll be unlikely that I will feel like I missed like a major part of the cultural discourse. Um, yeah. Like to put a finer point on it, I was trying to log all of these in Letterboxd and I found almost everything, like not without fail. There were things that broke this pattern, but almost everything was like, yeah, I liked it. Three. <laughs> I really liked it. 3.5 it was okay 3.5 like everything was like hovering in that like yeah yeah you know i liked it and and nothing nothing was really rocking my world or few things were rocking my world and very few things made me hate them either it felt very much like middle of the road personal stories you're gonna get something out of it but maybe you're not gonna hit the highs of like a more fleshed out film and i don't know if that's the covid filmmaking style or the south by aesthetic or what but i just i felt that like five movies back to back i think i rated 3.5 i was like i feel like i felt differently about all these movies but they all are somehow still landing in that same like little area of my opinion Uh, i don't know that that was kind of it all got kind of samey to me in terms of how i felt yeah i i think for me um what I loved about this festival is that there were not isolated windows of time where you could watch a film. Like part of the reason we were stuck in that watching seven films a day was because you had little windows and you were trying to fit it all in. And if you missed that window to watch it, it was gone forever and you weren't going to see it. I, I mean, in some cases, that film is probably literally gone forever and it's not going to see the yeah. light of day. Um, but this time it was like, as long as you have a reservation for the ones that are that are not uh not li- or that are limited then you're going to get to watch it as long as you finish it before saturday at midnight central time or whatever it is um so that was pretty awesome like just being able to have that experience of like knowing i'm safe not having to worry about like if i'm watching it before work and then suddenly there's an early meeting then i'm never going to finish that movie <laughs> sort of sort of thing right like i could i'll yeah. just come back and finish the second half of it later um so that was pretty pretty awesome i do i did when I first logged into the the Apple TV app for South by, I was like, "This is this is freaking great! Everything's here. It's so great!" Mm-hmm. And then I realized that like everything that I had RSVP'd for didn't show up in the My List tab, even though when right. you're on the website, you click the My List <laughs> to see the yeah, things you've RSVP'd to. Apparently, you have to go to individual movies and fave them to get them to show up in that list. So that was dumb as hell um, because also the app doesn't always refresh until you mm-hmm. fully quit the app and relaunch it. Um, so there'd be a thing where like a movie just came out, Steven starts it. And I'm like, I don't see that movie in my list. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> had to force quit and restart. So that was, that was a fun experiment, but overall the app worked great. I still have a thing against any Apple TV app that doesn't use the standard Apple TV interface. Um, because mm-hmm. when I do certain swipings and things like that, I want it to behave the way it's supposed to not, 
look like an iOS app on top of an Apple TV that I then have to click and then swipe down and then click and then get the progress bar to see yeah, what's going this on. This looked like a like like a React web app that they just put on an Apple TV to me. Like it didn't feel like it was native at all. Yeah, but all that being said, I love the experience of watching the films. Um, one of the things that sort of jumped out to me is we've talked about, at least for the last couple festivals this year, of like, you watch a movie and you feel that it was made in COVID. Either there's not a lot yeah. of people or it's like a lot of isolated scenes. This festival felt extremely made in COVID. Um, yeah. a, a lot of the films literally use that as the subject matter and not just as the backdrop for it, but like heavily, that's the whole point of what you're watching. Um, and other films just feel like very, very small productions in a way where it's like most of the time it's only two people <laughs> on the set. And you're like, did you like have an idea for a film and you made it during COVID or did you go like, shit, it's COVID and we need to do some work. Let's make a film. <laughs> um, so that, yeah. It, I, I couldn't get that out of the back of my head while I was watching these films where I was like, hmm, this feels a little like crime of opportunity and not like crime of passion. <laughs> yeah. But all that being said, we are here to talk about a number of films. I think we're going to we're going to use the same format we did for um, Sundance. So we're kind of just kind of like bounce back and forth uh, with the films that we both saw and talk about them together. And then we'll have a little spot after that where we're going to bounce back and forth and talk about films that only one of us saw. And then uh, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Um, so, yeah, then maybe Chris will freestyle the seven additional films that only he saw. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Steven, would you like to start us off with, uh, your first film? Yeah. Uh, so the first movie, uh, that we'll be talking about is also probably the biggest film to come out of South by Southwest. Uh, it, it didn't really premiere here. I think it was at Berlin all a week earlier. So this movie has been making the rounds, uh, and that is language lessons. Uh, Natalie Morales's debut film. Uh, I knew her from Parks and Recreation and a few other random things. I had never known her as a filmmaker before, uh, but this is a, a two-hander with her and Mark Duplass. Uh, the concept being a man is surprised with uh, online like Zoom Spanish lessons and he has these presumably like 10-minute calls. Hopefully, otherwise, the amount of money this costs for 50 lessons just seems not fair at all. Um, <laughs> It was he, like he, it was two has, years of lessons. It was like a thousand lessons yeah. or something stupid like that, which is that's not yeah. It was two years of lessons there, for a thousand dollars. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and, and so it's about and Mark Duplass and Natalie Morales. Baby, basically, like get to know each other solely through the idea of this immersive um, Spanish language course. And the film goes in some interesting directions. I don't know. I didn't read the synopsis, so I don't know if it spoils anything. Uh, I'm going under the assumption we spoil nothing. Yeah, yeah. And so I will just say this is a... Am I, am I saying what it is and then lobbing to you how you felt? I forget. Is that the format that we've been doing for I mean, you, you can just start, basically. You can, you, when you introduce it, you can start with your thoughts and then... Sure. And then, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, I thought this movie was charming as hell. I think much of the meat of this movie is uh, the two leads getting to know each other and particularly getting to know each other when one is speaking a language that he is not fluent in. And I think there's something really special about that in terms of the like vulnerability of a Duplass-style movie. Having this conceit of Mark Duplass is literally fumbling through his vocabulary and he's kind of like using the wrong words and the subtitles will put them in quotes sometimes to let you know that he is like not phrasing it quite right. Yeah. And there was some combo of that with the kind of 
earnest desire to get to know each other, develop a friendship, walk each other through some kind of complicated emotions. But I, it just charmed the pants off me. Like I, I thought this was a fantastic movie for at least the first two thirds. Um, and then <laughs> as with, as with a lot, I don't want to peg this as mumblecore or whatever, just because of Duplass is in it. But like, as with a lot of these very stripped down improvisational conversation feeling movies, when it reaches high drama toward the end, I feel like it drops the ball a little bit. I, I have a lot more trouble believing very emotional conversations in this format than I do basic get to know you ones. So I, I felt like it it took a big swing and it didn't quite land for me in the end, but I was so charmed through the majority of this movie. Like I, w- I was still thrilled that I watched it. So that was, that was how I felt. Definitely would recommend it to anyone who thought it was super cute. It just didn't have quite the third act punch that I feel like a, let's say a Paddleton can like nail, stick the landing instead. And this one kind of fizzled for me instead. Yeah. Um, so, so I think, I think once, once a review of this type, I always pull back the cur- curtain and show how the sausage is made. Um, so it's important for people to know that like, there was a lot of things that we could see at this festival. Um, so basically Stephen created a spreadsheet. We listed all the films that were available to us. We, 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 we added our interests um, for level of what we thought it was going to be. And then we sorted basically by all the stuff that we were both interested in so that we could prioritize things that we would possibly want to talk about in potential single reviews. And for both of us, this was basically the top of the list of like most excited to see, um, or at least of the things that were like super interest. This is one of the ones that like we both were super interested in when a lot of the other stuff was like, yeah, kind of interested in this or yeah, that might be okay. Or, you know, honestly, I'm not that interested in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like going into this, I knew that I was either going to love this movie or I was going to be incredibly disappointed by it. <laughs> um, yeah. I knew that I loved this movie during the first call they had <laughs> the very first session. They <laughs> um, as soon as it started, just watching the two of them talk. As you said, like Mark Duplass, like trying to like struggle through the Spanish and he knows a lot of Spanish, like his Spanish yeah. is good. He's just not fluent, but it's like just I don't know if it's just good enough or just bad enough that it it adds a lot of interesting um, ness to it that I just really, really appreciated it. Um, and I just I, I love their interaction. Every call from him was great. I actually don't have the same problems you have with the ending. Um, I mean, I don't I I wouldn't fight you on how you feel about those moments. Um, but just for me, there was so much goodwill and love built up that like it couldn't tank this high I was riding. It was like, no, I'm already, you know, I'm already going up. There's, I can't turn this around now, right? It was just, it was just too, too much fun for me. And I think it's really solidified. I think this festival and the last festival both had films, um, both, both had a film in them which I'm going to call the platonic romantic com- comedy, yeah. um, where it's two people who are in any other given film would be romantic people involved with each other. But this is just like a platonic relationship of people getting to know each other, um, which it's, it's some, I, don't, I don't know how I haven't seen so many more of these films because it kind of eliminates all the problems from a normal romantic comedy, like the arcs and everything yeah, like it, that. It's a wonderful idea having like a platonic male-female friendship movie. I yeah, think yeah. It, it, like, it is very cleansing and positive and it gets rid of a lot of like 
just discomfort that the romantic comedy genre usually gives you. Like yeah. it, it, it feels so pure. I feel like there should be more of them. Yeah. And, and I am not spoiling this film because the whole premise of it is that Mark Duplass is playing a gay man whose husband got him these lessons. So it, this isn't a story. Like, you know, from the start that this is this type of platonic story. It's not going to be, I mean, I guess it could be, but, <laughs> um, but like, it, it's a, it's a thing that you, you know what you're getting into. Um, so it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of this genre now. And, uh, I hope there's more films like th this, not necessarily this whole premise with the cameras and stuff, but like, I just, I had a lot of fun with it and, uh, I, I walked away like so happy, uh, by the time it was over. So, yeah, I, I did just want to say that the, the whole Zoom premise is the kind of thing that could easily be very awkward, especially when you think of it being a kind of loose conversational movie. Like, if you don't nail that, it is going to be dead air, right, on screen. And this movie very quickly reassures you that this is going to be great, right? Like, th there was no time when I felt like, oh, this is dragging, this feels fake, this feels uncomfortable, it feels like they're trying too hard. Like, it, it felt very effortless. And I think... Part of that is probably Natalie Morales directing it and also playing the co-lead, right? Like her vision of what the movie was supposed to be meant she could kind of steer the conversations that way all the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I was really impressed with how well they did so much with so little. It Honestly, it pairs very well with Paddleton. I won't go into more, but I think like it would be a good kind of back-to-back -back palate cleanser after after that movie. Man, can you, can you imagine the remote version of Paddleton? <laughs> 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 that would be a that would be a trip um anyway uh speaking of movies i forget are we teeing each other up uh, <laughs> okay. i mean you can do I what you want like production you, notes you could pass to me if you'd like <laughs> yeah so speaking of movies that are very much at least restricted by covid um <laughs> The next movie that I think you were going to tee up is a movie that is very much about COVID and how people interact uh, in that situation. Yeah. So the next film we're talking about is a little film called The End of Us, um, which is it's a little film about a couple um, who, you know, they might be in a little rocky parts. And one day they have a little argument. They break up, they go out into the world, and that is literally the day that lockdown starts. <laughs> so they all come back home together and go like, huh. So I guess we got to figure out how to make this work uh, between us. And it's really just the story of this couple who has been together, I think, uh, four years, I think it is. Um, and or no, they've been living together for four years, but they might have been a couple before longer than that. But anyways, they're basically broken up and they're trying to um, manage their new life together in quarantine, um, deal with uh, their expectations of the world and COVID and try to figure out how to remain cordial around each other um, <laughs> as they they navigate the space that is their home while they're all stuck there. Um, so, you know, obviously this the premise of this film was like all right i'm in 100 percent. definitely gonna watch this movie <laughs> i was ready for it um i think when it started off i'm gonna be honest the characters annoyed me uh, right off the bat i was like "Ooh, this is a little bit cringy like the whole like i'm an actor and help me read my script and like i have a real job and i do this like i, I was just kind of like i'm not i'm really not gonna vibe with this movie um and it sort of went on and once you get through the premise and the characters start being real people, I, I've begun to get charmed by this over the course of the film. And like, 
I cared about where what the characters what was going to happen. Like when it started off, I just didn't like them. They weren't nice people, and they were kind of annoying. And then as it went on, I began to not really fall in love with them, but I began to be like charmed enough to them to care where they were going. And I kind of, I kind of by the end of this film was a little bit won over where it ended versus where it started. And I think that you know, it it went from feeling cheesy to feeling authentic, and I really really liked the journey as all the characters went on. One thing that did stand out to me that was a little bit strange about this film is it was clearly made at the beginning of quarantine <laughs> where like mm-hmm. I think the entire entire length of the film takes place over like 45 days or something like that and it's like oh you simple-minded folk who thought this would be over yeah like, you have no idea yeah yeah so it, it's like you're watching people go on a journey that could have been a year but because of when the film was made, it's 45 days. And like that sort of broke the universe for me because I'm just like, oh, come on. I know what the, like, like you can have the same arc to stretch it out time-wise. Don't, don't make references to it's only been 45 days. And like their understanding of what the next step of the pandemic was going to be is so far off in our, our modern sensibilities that like it kind of took me out a little bit. Um, but I think what they achieved with what they were trying to do worked enough for me in the end that it didn't I didn't walk away from it on a high like I did with uh, language lessons but I walked away going like that was cute I like that I like that <laughs> what did you think yeah, Stephen? So I uh I had a very similar feeling at the beginning as you uh basically the film opens with the character of Nick um preparing for his acting lesson and he's just he's doing a voice and he's over the top and cheesy and kind of Smeagol-esque and it's just <laughs> yeah, like oh 100% this isn't this isn't a real character. Uh, the character of Leah, I felt more real off the bat, but it still felt a little bit quirky or like heightened. There was something that didn't ring totally authentic to me. And honestly, that feeling never totally left. Like, oh, yeah. like I agree with you that as this movie goes on, it becomes much more authentic than when it begins. I think... I think the early parts of this movie are fairly cringy, actually, yeah. in terms of, like, it is trying to show a couple dissolving, but they are going for such, like, broad humor, and Nick is honestly just such a, like, childish asshole during that whole phase. It is, it's hard to recover from that and root for them in this kind of, like, breaking upwards type of premise that you want it to be of, like, look, two people have been along, like, together for a long time are fumbling through this strange pandemic together. Yeah. Um, I did think as it went on, I kind of enjoyed the, as you mentioned, this film does not have the benefit of our modern perspective, which is fun. It's kind of like the most immediately outdated movie in existence because <laughs> <laughs> um, it is so recent and yet it is, it is so clouded by a kind of misunderstanding of what would happen in the pandemic. And I kind of liked that because it felt like a time capsule of this very strange feeling that we all had very early on. Right. Like I, I doubt this was filmed in the first few days of the pandemic, but I agree that it probably closed filming like less than six months in or something. But I feel like they they probably did it very early, but they don't even reference vaccines being around the corner. Right. Like Mm. I I think they were still at the stage where like, probably two years out and we'll probably have a vaccine like i don't think they ever yeah. crossed that threshold so it's like this is still like this is first four five months of the of the pandemic yeah i mean they had drive-through testing at least i remember testing not being a thing for a while 
That, that's but, the thing I remember. But also their their version of drive through testing was you drive up, they hand you the kit, you drive to a parking spot, you swab yourself, and then you drive back and hand it to somebody, which I don't think... That's true. They might have made it up. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but, but, but yeah, so in the relationship dynamic, um, yeah, I, I think... So the flaw of this movie is that I do not believe the relationship they had, so I don't believe the dissolution of their relationship. But if I take that aside, the details of what would be awkward about being with an ex in the pandemic, I did find quite funny. And it charmed me the more they start to warm together after, like, they, you know, they're in battle mode for a while, and then they kind of call a truce at a certain point. Yeah. And from that point on, it definitely started to charm me. And the... There is a... um an unsafe action that a character does and the way they handle that conversation <laughs> afterwards even though it is an argument i also found it quite like funny and pleasant and charming yeah. and it's like it's just awkward and squeaky squeakish but not in like a it's not like in a oh this is terrible cringe comedy it's more like yeah this would be awkward and they're gonna like deal with it anyway like like i don't know there, there's something that i I did like where this movie landed, yeah. but I never really got over the feeling that they were caricatures, and that combined with how like ultra meat on the bones the plot was, like it wasn't quite enough to propel me into really liking it. But yeah. I, I, it, it was pleasant. It was yeah, pleasant yeah. Enough. I, I think uh, the other guy is also an asshole. By the way, both guys are. Kind oh of yeah, one hundred percent. But the other guy is also a douche on top of being an asshole. <laughs> yeah, and he's also supposed to be me, so that made me upset. <laughs> I mean, how many times are you going to watch Rashomon? <laughs> Yeah, he, he's a tech guy who's, like, talking about the Criterion channel or whatever. And his girlfriend's like, I want, I want to watch reality TV. <laughs> I think Joanna felt seen by, by that part yeah. of the movie. So I think, I, I, don't, I don't want to spoil it too much, but there's something that happens to the girlfriend that puts them more on an even playing field. And I think mm -hmm. once that dynamic changes, I think that's when the film started to grow on me a little bit more. Because now it wasn't just, like, I do all the stuff and I'm better than you and you suck and get out of my house. It was, we're both here. We both have to deal with it. How do we make our lives at least like manageable um, from here on? And it, and it, it kind of became less about just the relationship has fallen apart and more who are these people now and how do they survive without tearing each other apart? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it, it also gets at the kind of interesting paradox of this which is there there are moments in this movie when from a romantic standpoint uh leah uh definitely would not want anything to do with this guy and yet from a i don't want to be alone standpoint she wants his like she wants that companionship and i think like and she wants that companionship of someone who knows her more than she would want the dating scene and i think that was a really interesting thing of like I want someone who knows me and understands me right now, and I don't want you in any kind of romantic sense. And in that sense, I kind of fit with language lessons of like, it becomes the platonic, how do we interact with each other movie? And, yeah. and that is kind of where it works really well. Yeah. Well, uh, moving on from the fallout of a relationship to the fallout of something else, Stephen, why don't you take us on to our next film? Uh, yeah. So uh, this movie is appropriately called The Fallout. Um, I, I looked at the synopsis of this film, and it, it basically says that uh, after a tragedy occurs, a high schooler tries to cope with the fallout. Like, I, I think that was basically it. Um, it, it's, it. It tells you enough that 
it would almost spoil to say what movie this would pair with. <laughs> so yeah, I, like, yeah. I, I don't know where one spoiler ends and the other begins, but I knew from the subject matter at least that like this would be a thing that would be worth us catching, uh, if only to talk about how a movie portrays this side of the coin. Yeah. Um, and I like honestly, I loved this movie. I was expecting very little from it, and I was like so taken by it so quickly. Um, and that has almost everything to do with uh, the cast, especially the lead, uh, Jenna Ortega, who plays Veda. So this is a high school movie. It's about high schoolers dealing with tragedy. I. Is it a spoiler to say that it's a mass shooting? Like, what other tragedy would they be dealing with? Like, yeah, I, I, think, it feels... I think in this case, it's fine for that. I'm sure that actual, like, yeah. eventual IMDb description will say after a, a school shooting. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so this is about how do high schoolers deal with a school shooting? And they they do it by getting inside the head of a very particular, very kind of cool, chill, good sense of humor, tries to not rock the boat girl uh veda who tends to be the just the person who like helps other people and gets along with everyone and is kind of sarcastic and she she's just very she's very cool like she's the kind of person that i would have wanted to hang out with in high school and the movie does a really i think interesting job of showing how she copes where the coping is not knowing how to feel and not wanting people to pity her and not really wanting to be in a tearful hug fest all the time, but also not quite feeling up for, you know, becoming the next activist and the next person who's on the news and is rallying for something. And I think, I think this movie is really, really smart in how it thinks about Gen Z and how Gen Z must be feeling about the world right now, where it is this kind of roller coaster of, terrible things happening and everything is fine irony internet culture like wrapped up in one and wanting to know like who am i supposed to be in the middle of all this and uh i I was just completely taken with this movie i just thought like it, it is definitely small you know it is definitely festival um but i thought the characterizations were so spot on and it, it was, like, funny and sad, and it managed to, like, make me tear up and make me laugh, like, within, like, seconds of each other. Um, and it ends in just everything about it, I think, is such a good exploration of what the new generation, how this chaotic time would probably feel for them. And I, I thought that made it a really, really interesting time capsule. Yeah, um, I, I think... I think this film is a very good film. I think I'm a little less high on you. Um, you said that this film works almost entirely because of the lead. And I would argue it works entirely because of the lead. Not to take away from the way that the narrative is constructed, because one of the things I really, really do like about what it's doing is that it's not just following a person and how the fallout worked for them. It's following different groups of people who were seemingly in different you know, tribes in school, cliques, different groups, yeah. who due to the way the events unfolded, were thrust together in a way where they they were forced to become each other's um, friends or confidants or, you know, emotional sharing partners, right? Like, they, they, they all lived through a tragedy together and were able to form a bond that they wouldn't have had otherwise. And I really, really love what it's doing there. I think... Some of the peripheral characters, um, especially the friend who becomes the act- the act- activist, um, mm-hmm. like blank sheet of paper, like doesn't have any real characteristic other than like I'm an activist now. Um, and I kind of like 
was less in on the rest of the cast, but the lead is so fucking good. Like she is amazing and she really drives this entire film. And like I said, the other emotional beats, they hundred percent work. I'm totally on board with everything. The relationship with the sister, where that kind of goes, even that there's some great moments with the parents as they sort of try to understand what she's going through and like the little bits of information that they get. Um, a beautiful moment with the father when they're hanging out that, that really worked for me. Um, so I really like, what the film is doing. I think for me, it might not be as cohesive as it was for you. Like the overall package wasn't as good as the individual pieces, which did blow me away during moments. Um, so it's kind of like very good film. I'm happy to praise it. Um, but it didn't blow me the way blow me, <laughs> blow me away. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. fun, I guess. Um, no, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Like this was honestly one of those movies where I was like, I love it. 3.5. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I like I I think I tweeted this too, but like the lead Jenna Ortega, like I think she already took the crown from the the girl uh from Coda in terms of being like my this is a young actress that I am so excited to see what she does next because yeah. she just has like the the charisma and sense of humor that I feel like she could crush anything uh, and i know she's been around she's in other things too but i had never seen her before yeah so i, I had only seen her in the the netflix show you um about that that toxic dude who's like killing girls um uh spoilers <laughs> um but anyways in like one of the later seasons she plays like the overly precocious younger sister of like the landlord of the apartment that the the lead guy moves into and like in that she's playing that character that's way too smart for her age like she's way more mature than her older sister is um and I think that type of role can be distracting. And I think that while she was good in that role, she wasn't able to shine like the way she is in this one. Like in this one, you're like, oh, shit. Like, yeah, she's fucking great. Um, so yeah. I'm excited to see what she's in next. Um, and hopefully it's not just like the overly precocious young girl who's too young for her, her own good. Um, so, yeah, because she can do much more. Like, I think she really shines in the therapy scenes with Shailene Woodley. Yeah. And there is, she's basically being asked to be both, like, a little bit reserved and a little bit self-aware and also be cracking under emotion. And I think she juggles all three of those very well at the same time. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Cool. Um, so I'll take us into the next film, um, which is the... Nope, there's a couple of documentaries we're going to talk about, but separately, I guess. There's one other documentary. Anyways, this is the first documentary we're going to talk about, and it's called Dear Mr. Brody, um, and it is about um, this guy. Uh, when, what year was it? Like 60s, 70s? Yeah, it was like 1970, okay. I think. Um, so basically, this, Early 1970. This guy was the heir to a margarine fortune, and, uh, you know, sort of like a hippie, free love sort of dude, and uh, he appeared in the city one day and said, yo, I want to give away, like, all my money to anybody who wants it, um, because if everybody had money, then everybody would be happy and everything would be cool, and... Um, you know, if you do that publicly, a lot of people are going to write letters to you and try to get in touch with you and ask you for this money that you've offered up. And this documentary sort of takes a look at, um, you know, interviewing people who wrote letters, people who are um, children of people who wrote letters, um, people who are just like, you know, the filmmakers or people who knew about what was going on, who are happened to have the letters themselves. And it kind of just takes a look at uh, like, you know, it partially covers the life of this Mr. Brody guy. Um, but I think really the key of this documentary is looking at the hope that was in people's hearts as they wrote these letters and sort of what was going through in their life. And it's like, 
what if you made a documentary of a hundred random people all over the United States who were going through something at the time and interview people who knew them and what they were going through and kind of just talk about that. And I think that there's something really beautiful about that aspect to this documentary. I think that the story of who this guy was who was causing all of this is not particularly interesting in my book. Like the fact that this guy shows up and it's like, I'm going to give away all this money. That is interesting. But once you get past that, his life becomes less interesting to me. But these stories of what these other people were going through and kind of the hope that they had for what getting some of this man's money could do for their lives um, was uh, a very, very enriching watch for me. And I, I just, there was something really, really beautiful about it. I don't know what the entire documentary adds up to, <laughs> um, but I, I, I really loved what it was doing. So Stephen, this is, this is a film that you were very excited for going in. Um, what were your thoughts? Uh, yeah, so I, I was primarily excited because the director, Keith Maitland, also made uh, the documentary Tower, which was a film that I really, really loved. In I think in 2016, it was in my top 10, maybe even my top five. Um, and Tower was a documentary about uh, one of the first, honestly, one of the first school shootings, uh, a shooting at the University of Texas in Austin in 1966. And it was a animated retelling of that where people were like basically people were playing characters walking around describing eyewitness accounts of what happened and it was showing things through everyone's perspective and i don't want to spoil exactly how it does it but it does blend that with real eyewitness testimony of the people as they are now um in a way that was like very just maybe ball like like the movie just did a really great job and i just wanted to see anything he did next um this movie, it is kind of clear why he wanted to tell this story, because this has some thematic things that are in common here with giving voice to the letter writers in particular. Um, I, I thought it was it, it was really cool. I, I have the same kind of hangups that you do, where I think the life of Michael Brody Jr. is, I think that's his name, um, is not that interesting like what he was was a flash in the pan right what yeah. he was was an idea that for about a week like captivated yeah, it's real, everyone in the country real quick flash in the pan it, it's a real quick one he came out of nowhere and everyone was swept up in the frenzy and i think the movie is trying to be paced in a way where it does the same thing to you where you get swept up in that frenzy of like here he is he's giving away money here he is, you know, on talk shows, here he is signing deals, here he is always gone, you know, and, and the movie is trying to give you a little bit of that legend, too, and kind of put you in that frame of mind. And so I get it. I don't think the character bears enough weight to return to that well three or four times the way the movie does, where it kind of keeps dipping back into his life and telling more about his story. Yeah, I really think like what this movie is, where it shines, is being a movie about money and wealth inequality and like the promise of money and what does it mean to people who are struggling like what would it mean if someone could make all your wishes come true like how would you relate to that person what would you ask for how would it change the world and and the fact that the 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 medium who is promising that to people is unstable and seems to kind of hate himself and have a very like 
resentful relationship with money and with privilege and with everything like that is all a very interesting cocktail for me of like where we are in this moment and this movie i thought was a good way to explore it but really the heart of the movie is the letters it's the fact that the letters exist that they're being opened for the first time that people are reading them that people are occasionally being reunited with the letter after you know 50, 40 years, 41 years since they wrote it. Um, I think that is all super moving. And if I could have a movie that was like 80% letter reading and only 20% um, telling me the story of Mr. Brody, rather than this movie, which is more like 40, 60 or something, um, I would be really, really happy. Um, I still really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was really cool. I liked the experimental stuff a lot. But I, I think the the dial, if it had been tuned more toward only the voice of the people who were hurting and less toward this guy who very clearly was complicated, but there wasn't a whole lot to unpack there, then I think it would have been a better documentary. Yeah, I, I think that uh, the the Brody side of this film is probably better off as a hypothetical Planet Money episode of the podcast. Mm-hmm. And then the letter writing and letter reading portion of the documentary should be the whole thing. Like, devote five minutes to this is what happened. And now let's just read letters and talk to people. Um, and I think that would... that would. I mean, even those people can a little bit talk about their idea of who this man was. Um, but yeah, I think knowing his actual journey um especially because the further you get into it the less you're like oh (laughs) you're kind of just right (laughs) yeah there is definitely a turning point where you're like oh i recognize what's going on (laughs) um (laughs) i do think though even though i wish it were more about the letter writing i do think there's something about the contrast between Michael Brody Jr. and the way he kind of, he is kind of like, he's the hippie version of I'm rewatching Succession, that scene in the Succession pilot where Roman offers to write a check for a million dollars to the kid if he can make a home run. Like, he is that version where it's like, I'm giving you a thing, but the fact that I'm so flippant about it and being like, yeah, I'm going to give away all of it, like 600,000, maybe 60 million, we'll see, come back tomorrow, like, that then contrasted with people writing letters saying like, I want to pay my medical bill or please like give me enough money to buy groceries for the week. Um, I think there's something really heartbreaking about ping ponging between those two points of view. And that I think is why he wanted to frame the movie this way. I just don't think the, the Brody character gets like more grading as time goes on. And it's hard for him to bear the weight of that percentage of the movie. Even if you understand kind of the, the empathy at the core and like why he might be the way he is. It's still like, that's a lot of screen time dedicated to that guy. Um, and that even though I get the parallel with the good heartfelt stuff, it's still, you know, it, it was a little too much. Yeah. I, I think, I think a, a good analogy for me would be like watching Charlie and the chocolate factory and like 20 minutes in being like, there's no fucking golden tickets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But anyways, uh, <laughs> let's move on to our next one. I think this is you, Stephen. Uh, yeah. Uh, so the next movie is a film called uh, Bantu Mama. Uh, and this is a movie about a woman who is arrested in the Dominican Republic. Uh, she's originally from... Uh, I don't actually remember what country she's from. She's, she's living in France, yeah. but she's an expatriate from Africa, right? Like from Cameroon, maybe. Um, and... 
and yeah, she is on a trip to the Dominican Republic. Uh, she gets tied up in some activity and winds <laughs> up getting arrested. Um, and then she escapes and it's her and three miners who are kind of like living together in this neighborhood in Santo Domingo, trying to find a way of escaping. Three, three, um, three younger children who are minors. <laughs> yeah, three minors with an O. <laughs> three, it, I, so A, I was staring at the uh, IMDb synopsis when I, when I said that. Um, but I will say there's like a, a really young kid, a like mildly young girl and then a guy who i don't even know if he's under 18 or not so minor is a stretch yeah um, I, but I anyway, assume he's like in high school but like he's like the kids in high school right. who like look like they could be in college they hit their growth spurt already and exactly yeah yeah, yeah and, and for where he lives he probably you know has to grow up really quickly um yeah. but yeah so this is basically a movie about uh this woman emma getting taken in by this you know family without parents and she sort of becomes a like surrogate mother figure but she also needs something from them and it's kind of about her like seeing a window into their world in the dominican republic and them meeting her um and just connecting for a moment and then trying to find a way to escape um i thought this movie was it was lovely enough but it was very small for me like it didn't leave a very big impression uh the good things that I felt is so I watched this after watching the end of us and compared to the end of us, this felt like a real movie right off the bat. Like it felt like it had an aesthetic. It like wanted to have a look and feel it really, it was very obviously filmed on location and a lot of things seemed to exist only to give you a, a sense of what this neighborhood in the Dominican Republic looks like. Yeah. And I liked all that. I, I liked all the kind of slice of life, like let's explore this neighborhood and then see how, risky it could be for a person who is at risk of being arrested or deported if she can't prove, you know, her residency. Um, I, I thought all that was interesting and well done. Um, the relationships felt a little small to me. It, it felt kind of like shorthand of this is what these people would represent to each other. And it didn't really add up to the kind of moving emotional piece that I was hoping it would. It, it left a way lighter footprint for me. And I don't know if, I, I think this was one of the like movies that was under 80 minutes long. So it kind of just felt like it got in and got out without doing a whole lot of character building. Yeah. It might also have been a movie where I was a little distracted i think this was one of those morning films where i got interrupted with like emails halfway through um but yeah it just i i really liked aspects of it i liked the aesthetic of it and i enjoyed the overall story it was telling but it it felt a little weightless like it didn't hold the story didn't stick with me the way that i was hoping it would when uh, when i read the description it kind of felt like a little bit like a a movie like Jockey at Sundance, where it's like, this is really nice. I like this characterization a lot. And probably right after it ended, I'm not really remembering what journey the character went through anymore. You know, I only really remember who they are and what they are supposed to represent, but I don't remember what they go through. Yeah. And that was how I felt here. You know, nice enough, but not really, not really the punch that I was hoping for. Yeah. So, so when I read the description for this film, I kind of made some assumption about the type of film that I was getting into. What I, what I was kind of expecting was something maybe a little bit closer to um, Tigers Are Not Afraid, um, where it's like mm -hmm. these kids living in a town where like the adults are getting taken and they're forced to live on their own. And they themselves have to sort of like run away from the cops 
um, or whoever, like gang members or whatever, to try to like live on the roofs and sort of do their own thing. And my assumption was when this woman encountered them, she would be the action to like, maybe they were in trouble and she would pretend to be a parent figure to get them out of it. And that's how that relationship was formed. But it's sort of, this film is sort of the exact opposite where like they sort of take her in and they're hiding her from the world. And I think that that is sort of a completely different dynamic. Um, and seems not stranger, but like you have to explain a little more why these children are willing to take this woman in, in this case, because it's not just like they see her running from the cops and they're like this way, this way, this way. And like, they're like, what's going on? Like they, they rescue her, but then she just kind of stays in the house and there's not really a discussion about it's okay for you to stay here. She just instantly yeah. becomes a member of the family. And I, I do like that relationship she forms with the youngest child, the relationship she forms with the middle child, and then you don't really see as much interaction with the older of the kids. Um, but it's like, so I, I kind of like what's going on here. I like the interactions that these different characters have together. But I think ultimately, the longer the film went on, the more I was kind of brought down a little bit by the lack of world building. Um, mm-hmm. Like, we find out that the mother's gone somehow, the father is in jail. The kids seemingly do some sort of work that's probably illegal for the uncle. It's not quite clear right. whether the uncle is in cahoots with the father or if they're rivals in some way, right? Like there, there's at, at some points you get like a thought that the, the uncle's bad, but then other times you think that the uncle's the actual protector and you don't really know. And then it's like, okay, if this kid, if the middle child is willing to give certain things to this woman what is she doing in an exchange for? And then like you start to learn what her exchange will be towards the end of the film. But it's just like the whole time I kept wondering what everybody's motivations were. And like, they just go out and do whatever. Like the kids don't seem to have trouble surviving, right? They just have, they have plenty of money. They have like all this stuff. And it's kind of like, I just, I kept the film just brought up more and more questions. And I found myself unable to fully, vibe with what was happening because I was always thinking like, well, what about this? And who's, who's in that truck that the older kid keeps constantly getting into and like, something's got to go bad eventually. Right. But what will it be? And then what's going on? And what is the actual plan to try to get her home? Like it just, it, yeah. Yeah. It kind of, it kind of felt like they took like a hundred minute movie and just cut it to 70 minutes. And we're like, yeah, we'll keep the experiential stuff and we'll throw away a lot of the detail building. Yeah. Cause I also felt a little bit like, not lost in the plot, but like lost in terms of I didn't fully understand like why things were happening. It kind of felt like sketched together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so now let's move on um, to another. Now, now we're into the section of this episode where we're, where we're talking about things that only one of us has seen. Um, so only one of us will be able to talk about these things. Um, so I'm going to start off with a little film called Recovery which is another one of the COVID films, um, the literal COVID films that was, that was in this, um, in this festival. Um, this story is basically two uh, sisters whose grandmother, um, is in a nursing home, um, where COVID has just broken out and they find out about that. It, they realize that the home, um, is not, is not, uh, suitable for taking care of their grandmother. And they decide to, get in their cars and drive for a day or whatever it is to get to the home so they can rescue their grandma. And this is a full on out and out comedy. 
it feels it feels very much like it is trying hard to be what if the book smart girls but like college age <laughs> uh, like it just mm. feels like the relationship is sort of built in that same way there's literal scenes where they get out of their car and they're doing wacky dances outside the car together and it feels like it's supposed to have that energy um, but for me for me it was hard for me to break out of the way it was joking about covid like this film felt too soon to me <laughs> Which is weird to say, like you can make jokes about certain aspects of COVID, but this film was like the entire movie is just a joke. And there's like all the, it it just, for some reason, the film sort of, um, I don't, the word is escaping me now, um, but it basically just like grinded on me uh, (laughs) and and sort of like, I just kind of was like off put a little bit by what it was doing. Um, that, you know, there was parts that made me laugh, but it, it is just so mile a minute, like trying to be super quippy and funny. And for me, it's sort of just, it didn't quite get there. And I think that if, if these characters were exactly the same and it was just a road trip movie that wasn't so centered around, isn't it funny that like this guy's coming, this guy who we know has COVID is trying to break into my grandma's room to fuck her. Like, like th- those were the types of jokes that it was doing. Um, and it just, it, for some reason it felt, it just felt off color <laughs> in a weird way. Um, so it just, yeah. I, I, it was definitely not on the list of things I was totally excited to see, but I was curious about. And I kind of like just on my way through it, I was like, you know, this is doing something that's just not, not vibing with me. So yeah, that's how I felt about recovery. I was looking at my note, my note, because we little peek behind the curtain. We went through all the movies of the festival and gave little ratings for how interested we were. And then I also left notes on some to kind of justify my ratings and Chris did the same. And for this one, I gave like a, you know, interested, um, yeah, an interested rating. And I said, quirky slash writer director. And Christopher said, sure. <laughs> and that sounds <laughs> pretty much exactly like where it landed. I'm like, yeah. It's quirky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well, well, speaking of, of movies that only one of us uh, were really interested in actually following through on, um, this is a movie, I watched another documentary, uh, Tom Petty, Somewhere You Feel Free. This was actually the, like, I don't remember what it was called. It was a special film in the festival. Like, it was a centerpiece or something. This was one of the ones that only had a, like, few-hour window that you could watch it. Oh, yeah. Um, and it is a documentary about the making wildflowers, which is uh, Tom Petty's solo album that is widely considered to be like the best thing he ever wrote, at least for people who really love him. You know, it's kind of his. Yeah, I I shouldn't compare it to Pet Sounds or anything, but like this is the it's the album where he kind of like spread his wings beyond like the the rock and roll thing he had been doing and became more contemplative. Um, there's not a lot to say about this documentary. It is. It's basically just a making of an album, and basically they unearthed a lot of footage of Tom Petty and the band recording and spitballing things in the studio, and the vast majority of the movie is just getting to watch them do that, and then the director does their damnedest to hang that together with some kind of cuts of, like, talking heads discussing Tom Petty and trying to weave a narrative through that. And there's not really a narrative. Like the reason to watch this movie is that you like Tom Petty and you like wildflowers and you want to listen to that album and like get to see him for, for a couple hours. Um, 
I found it very, very, very pleasant, and I also think the documentary adds pretty much nothing to it. Like, literally <laughs> listening to the album would be just as good. Um, it was nice to see him, especially because he passed away, you know, uh, it, it, like, it's kind of nice to put a face to the name and see him goofing around. He seems like a very pleasant guy, and the band seems, um, you know, like they're all having fun and feeling creative and inspired. So I found this, like, a totally enjoyable throw it on in the afternoon and like catch it, you know, pause occasionally if I had to do a work meeting or something like that and just kind of vibe with it. But this is not a documentary you have to rush out and see unless you're like a diehard Tom Petty fan. Like it, it's fine. Just listen to the album instead. You'll get, you'll get plenty. And also this uh, big producer, Rick Rubin, he is interviewed in the movie a few times and he is just like an old man with a big beard who is sitting barefoot and like picking at his feet. (laughs) And it drove me crazy. Like Rick, Put some shoes on, man. I get, I know what you did for Johnny Cash. Like, I, I know you're the man, but like, don't do that. You're on camera. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was distracting. That's funny. Tom Petty, great. Rick Rubin, wear some shoes. <laughs> yeah. I, I think for me, the, the whole reason I didn't like care about this, because like, I've definitely listened to Tom Petty music in things, but like, I don't, I've never played an album or anything. So I was kind of like, I just, I'm trying to fit stuff in and I don't have any real like built-in fondness for Tom Petty. So why would I spend one of my slots for this? Um, But it sounds like I can just go on Apple music and (laughs) play the album and get the whole thing. You don't, you don't need, you don't need to watch it. I, it was fine, but you don't need to watch it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Speaking of films that, uh, well, I don't want to say it like that because I don't want to like pre-taint thoughts that I'll get into in a little bit, but Basically, um, uh, I don't have the notes you left on it, but they're like basically the the film I'm talking about now is a little film called Gaia, um, which definitely looked like something that was going to be like midnight uh, type screening. Um, and I forget yeah. what your comment was for it, Stephen, but I was definitely like, I'll watch this. <laughs> I don't know if Stephen um, gets uh, needs to watch it, um, but. I think if you if you were to go to Twitter, like as this film started playing, you'd see a lot of people making comparisons to um, In the Earth from Sundance. And those comparisons would be very apt. Um, Like this is another film that is very uh, nature. um, Nature is a thing and a force that man has to interact with and should... um, you know, obey and, and be good to, and this is like a, you know, it's, it's like an environmentalist sort of film. Um, but it is basically about, uh, some people who work for some like nature documenting company. And they're basically going into the woods to swap out like the SD cards on these little camera boxes they have on trees. And they encounter, um, some things in the woods and some two individuals who have been living in the woods and, uh, this one woman gets to experience their life and see the stuff around them. Um, this this film on its own, it's an interesting film, right? I, I, I enjoyed the film. But I think it's hard for me to rationally talk about my feelings of this film because this film, guys, this film is like... The, the filmmakers had the audacity to essentially make an unofficial prequel to The Last of Us games. <laughs> Like this is like most people that really love a property would make a short film, put it on YouTube and try to get like a job from it. Right. That's what everybody does. If you make this short film about a property that you love, studios see it, they give you a call. And then now you're a big time movie maker. (laughs) 
these these fools decided they were just going to make a straight up full length feature that is a prequel to how the last of us got started they straight up have clickers the they like that when by the time this film ends you see how these spores and these clickers could have found their way into the full rest of the world and it's like i i can't not like love it for that like it's one of those things where like like it's well made and it's interesting but also it's a straight up fan-made prequel to the last... I mean, I'm sure the filmmakers wouldn't say that. They wouldn't say those words, and they'll deny it, I'm sure. But you can't... Like, the, they straight up look... The, the things in the woods are straight up 100% clickers. There are spores. If you breathe them in, you'll be infected. Um, and it's just... It's, it's, it's amazing the audacity of somebody to go, to go make a fan-made prequel to, like, one of the best video games that's ever been made. And it's like... It's just like, you know slow clap like by the end i was like dang this is i i I love what this is doing there's no way it's not intentional like you you can't i feel like you can't like there's no way these people don't live like there's no way they live in a vacuum and don't know the source material they're referencing um so i just kind of like for that i'm just like slow clap like good on you that's great (laughs) You, you know what's funny is when you were going into the kind of detailing how it is a prequel of the last of us i was so sure you were gonna dive into and i hate it for that (laughs) and then it being a slow clap i was like okay cool so you you don't feel like ripped it off you feel like it was a loving prequel too yeah so so it's funny like like i said if you go on twitter and you search for gaia um you know hashtag gaia hashtag south by southwest there are two camps of people, people who love it, who are like, oh, my God, it's like in the earth meets the last of us. And then there's other people who are like fucking they just ripped off in the earth and the last of us. And I think that like <laughs> both people are 100 percent valid, but it's like you gotta you gotta like give them credit for like because it's not even like slightly homaging it. Right. It's kind of like um, I, yeah. I've told other people this, but it's like when, when the trailer first hit uh, the Internet for the film Underwater. I was like, oh, shit, a new Cloverfield film. <laughs> and it's like underwater feels like somebody was like, guys, I'm going to write this script. And then like it's going to get picked up and included in the Cloverfield universe. And then it didn't. Um, but it's like you 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 can't watch that film and not be like this. Th- this was totally intended to hopefully get picked up to be in the Cloverfield universe. And this film feels in the same way where it's like it's doing its own thing. But it's like its own thing is a hundred percent built on the back of, of the last of us. And it's like, you can't, it's, it's, it's not like there's this monster feature and the monster sort of looks like the Cloverfield monster. It's like the process is exactly the same with the spores, but it's like, imagine if there's also this like sort of religious aspect to it and nature is this force that you're dealing with. And then also there are clickers and spores. Um, so interesting yeah so i i i think the more i think about it the more i really liked it um and at the time all i could think was like i literally paused it and went to twitter like 20 minutes in like the first time you see one of the clickers i'm like the fuck you gotta be kidding when i went online i was like yeah everybody's saying that it's the last of us (laughs) (laughs) so yeah yeah uh, well, let's see. The the genre film that I'm here to talk about next uh, is a little cartoon called The Spine of Night. Um, this is a movie that, honestly, it, it attracted me solely because the voice cast. I saw Richard E. Grant and Patton Oswalt, and I was like, oh, that's like, that's real fucking people. <laughs> 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 
that is interesting. What are they doing in a movie that looks... I don't mean this in a condescending way necessarily, but it looks like an Adult Swim animated show or something. Like, the style, I don't know how to put my finger on it, but it is a cartoon style that is not hyper-real. There's something, like, very specific and dark and kind of, like, twisted-looking about people and their mouths and the way they talk. Like, I I don't know what it is, except to say that it is very Adult Swim feeling. Um, And I was like, what the hell is this movie? Um, (laughs) And what it is is an R-rated fantasy epic about, like different people through different eras that are battling to get control basically of this, uh, this force. There's this thing that is signified by blue leaves. Um, that is kind of like knowledge or power and different people are fighting over it. And so that the movie begins with a, a witch living in a swamp who has these like leaves and then she is attacked and brought into a castle where Pat Oswalt plays this like uh, eunuch prince or whatever who like wants to take them from her. And there, there's a fight, and she gets locked up. And th- like twenty minutes in, I'm like, why the fuck am I watching this movie? Like, <laughs> what am I doing? Um, this is not my style at all. I don't know who any of these people are. Is this supposed to be funny? Is it supposed to be serious? It is very violent. Every there's tons of nudity, like it it is enjoying the R ratedness very very much, and I don't know what I'm doing here. Um, and then the world expands, like it just keeps expanding. Like there's a a guy who becomes the sort of mystic or oracle who is obsessed with the blue plant, and there's a like wars and a, like a famine leads people to rebel and like their blood and fighting as a part of that grows. And there's like a inquisitor who wants to get power. And then there's another man who becomes like the God King. And there are, there's all these things where it just keeps growing out more and more. And it never stops being the kind of like weird, very R rated blood pouring everywhere movie. (laughs) But at a certain point I was like, I think I'm, I like this. Like, <laughs> I think I'm into this movie and I don't really know why. Um, and by the end, like, I don't know. It was like weird and cool. It, it was cool and its own thing. And all I can say is it, it is epic. It is epic in a way that feels very like loving. And like they invented this whole kind of fantasy nerdy world that they wanted to flesh out. And, the fact that it is this like over the top R rated thing means it can have like grisly violence and body horror and the bad guys get to be really, really bad and the fights get to be really brutal. And it, there was something fun about it. I don't know. It, it, it was a very pleasant surprise for me because it is not my genre at all. And I was not vibing at all for a while. And then it just like kept winning me over a little bit more. So I, I would check this out when you can. I don't know if you're going to like it or hate it, but it, the epic aspect of it is like much better than I was anticipating. Yeah, I, I, my, my plan was to catch it on Saturday. Um, and there was a few things that were scheduled on Saturday. And then there was a period of time where Jamie was going to be out. And I was like, you know what? I should probably just fit in the Snyder Cut now so that way, like, yeah. we have a Sunday together that I don't have to take four fucking hours of the day to, yeah, to as, watch. As someone who did sit next to his partner in silence while watching the Snyder Cut <laughs> in headphones, I think you made the right call. <laughs> um, but yeah, so <clears throat> my next film that I'm going to talk about 
It's a little film called Here Before. Um, and this, this to me was the, the most theater movie, I think, that I watched um, in this festival. This 100% felt like something that I would have bought a special screening at Alamo, went, sat down with my brisket burger, and watched a screening of this one Thursday night, which was followed by a QA with, like, the filmmakers, right? Like, that. It, this is definitely that yeah. sort of genre of film. Um, and it is basically about a... A woman and her husband who are uh, grieving over the loss of their daughter who has died um, suddenly. And a family moves in in the house next door. Um, it, it's, it's sort of like a duplex. So it's like a connected house, but it's like two different houses, whatever. Um, I know buildings. Um, and uh, basically that family has a daughter who is the same age that their daughter would be if she was still alive. And they start to interact because they're neighbors. Um, you know, the, the child goes to the same school as their son who is still with them. Um, and there's a few times that, like, you know, that girl's, like, waiting and her mom's not picking her up from school. So she offers to take her home. And the more she interacts with this young girl, the more she starts to be sort of creeped out by the fact that this girl has knowledge of things that only her daughter should sort of have knowledge of and seems to remember things that would have been memories of her daughter. Um, you know, like the first time she goes to this playground, she talks about like us having been here before <laughs> um, and things like that. And, and it's basically this story of this mother who is sort of getting more and more unsettled by these coincidences or experiences with this neighbor girl and how her psyche starts to start to unravel as she's dealing with it. Um, and it's a very, very slow burn film um, that, that like was compelling the whole time and kept, kept the slow burn going. Um, this film has a like third act turn, I'll say um, that recontextualizes everything. And uh, it kind of, makes an emotionally extra fucked up scenario, uh, which kind of blew me away, but also made me question where all the stuff I was watching before came from. So it's kind of like, it's a very, it's a very interesting film. I very much enjoyed watching it. It's definitely a film that like, I would love to talk to people about the ending of like, if this was a week we were doing a review, there'd be fucking hell for sure. Be a big spoiler section at the end of it, because it's definitely something that at least, is worth talking about and theorizing about other pieces. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I had fun with, uh, here before I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be coming to something eventually. Um, so it's probably not going to get hidden away very long. So hmm. my mild recommendation for that, I guess. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah. So the next movie I caught, uh, is a film called Swan Song um, this is a movie that the only reason I wanted to see it, uh, was because it was starring Udo Kier as a aging gay hairdresser. Uh, and Udo Kier is kind of like a famously bizarre character actor. I, I mean, like the characters he plays are bizarre. Yeah. Uh, most prominently in recent time, he was in Baccarat, uh, which is a movie that got a lot of kind of buzz at the end of this last year, uh, a Cannes film from two years ago. Um, and this movie, he typically plays kind of standoffish characters, like he's played Nazis, he's played like super villainous people before. He is very like harsh and German. Um, and here he is just a, a a gay man who was like the talk of the town 
and the the hairdresser that kind of like did all of the socialites hair back in the day and now he's been living in an assisted living home for a while and he has called out of retirement to do the hair of a a famous socialite who has passed on like he he needs to basically prepare her hair for the funeral and he is going back and forth of whether he wants to do it or not and his complicated relationship with this Republican woman who was also his dear friend who also betrayed him years ago. Um, and this movie is just sweet as hell. Like it, it, it is so interesting because he is a man of very few words. Like he, it's clear that English is not his first language. You know, he's a German actor um, as far as I know. And here he plays just this Pat Pitzenberger and he's this man who like, used to be fabulous and he hasn't done anything for a while. Like he's been kind of depressed and retired, right? He's done with this thing. And this is kind of this movie about him finding his groove again and having one big last hurrah where he kind of walks around town and he sees everything that changed. Like the, um, the hair supply shop is gone and the town is different. And his apprentice from decades ago who screwed him over is now the only game in town. And, the brand he wants to buy hasn't existed in 30 years. And it, like, like it's just about this man walking around and seeing how things have changed and seeing how the world has changed for, you know, gay men. Like when he was around, uh, the AIDS epidemic was still going on and there was this culture that was, you know, building in defiance of it. And then there was this world around them that basically didn't acknowledge them. And now the world is different. Like he sees couples with, you know, gay couples with children that they've adopted. And he, he sees this acceptance and he also sees like a dilution of the culture. Like the gay bar is being torn down to make room for some gentrified place. Right. And uh, it, it's just a movie. It, it's very on the nose. It's very direct about what it's trying to do, but I found it just very, very charming. And I, I yeah, I enjoyed the hell out of this little movie. It was strange and kind of fantastical, and then also kind of just a guy walking around and observing a town. And I, I had a really nice time watching it. So yeah, check out Swan Song, a very surprising turn from a character actor that I've never seen him play anything like this before. Yeah. Yeah, it looked like it could potentially be interesting. It, like, it was like one of those things where it was like, not on my list of prioritizing at all. But I was like, if I watched this, I'd probably enjoy it. Um, but I didn't, I just didn't get around to watching it. Um, one thing I did get around to watching, um, which I specifically got around to watching it because it's one of the first things that I think sold out, like it ran out of slots. So I was like, well, I have to prioritize saying this because I took one of those slots. So I don't <laughs> I don't want to be the guy who took one of the slots for the thing that sold out and then didn't watch it. Um, but that is a little film called Violet. Now, normally I would want to, you know, I would want to end strong in my list if we're getting to the end of this episode. Um, but instead I went for the film that I might feel the most strong about, uh, Violet is a film that I did not like even a little bit. This film is a lot and it's a lot too much. Um, like the, the premise, the premise is cool, right? The premise is, um, this, uh, this woman played by Olivia Munn, um, is like, a some sort of marketing executive for like film. Um, you know, she goes out and gets films produced, helps pick the things that are going to get made, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'll probably have her actual job description wrong, but like basically she's somebody who works in Hollywood and works to get films made and get films picked up and work with production companies to make all that happen. Um, it's 
on the surface, it is a story of uh, a woman dealing with her own insecurities and the way that men treat her on the job and and how that affects her um, um, based on being treated by a shit. Like she is really good at her job and is like making these studios money and she still gets treated like she's not worth anything. And like, that's sort of what the story is. I'm I'm all down for that story, but it's the way this film <laughs> tells the story that I found extremely grating and just didn't work for me at all. So let me explain all the things that are happening simultaneously <laughs> in this film while you're watching it. One, there is a male voiceover that is her internal worries of how the world views her, right? So if she's eating a donut, the voice is like, you're so ugly. How could you eat a donut in the morning? You're a terrible person. I hate you. They're going to think you suck. Do whatever they want. Like it's this, it's this like voice that's just like beating her down. So she hears that in her head. You, the audience, are listening to that as a voiceover. On top of that, her wishes and desires are being handwritten on the screen so like a person's like, oh, like, hey, um, we just had a spot open up at our production company. It'd be great if you can come work for work for us. And like the voice is like, no, they're lying. You're a piece of shit. They don't really like you. And on this on the screen, it's like, I really want this job. Oh, my God. How can I just say it? And she's like, uh, I mean, I really like this company that I work for. And he's like, yeah, you don't like to do this because you're just stuck in this company because you suck. And then the thing's like, I really want this job. I really want this job. So like that's already like, OK, that's a lot. You're asking me to like absorb a lot of stuff coming at, at me at this moment then on top of that as things become stressful stressful for her it will suddenly cut to stock footage of a fox uh biodegrading or a rat biodegrading or a tree falling in a wood or like a blimp exploding or like all these different things it's just intercutting to these random shots of like a car crash a random thing you know decay bad stuff but it doesn't stop there on top of that it also is building up this like high pitched like sound that is coming into your ears. It's like, but it doesn't stop stop there. On top of that, the screen is also tinting red. The more angry she gets, all of these, all five of those things, whatever it was, I lost count, are happening simultaneously. Simultaneously, this is like that Taco Town <laughs> SNL bit. <laughs> but it, it's just like one of those things where it's like, who, who thought this was. Like, I didn't even bother looking to see, because, I mean, obviously this had to have, it either had buzz around it or everybody just saw Olivia Munn's face and was like, I know who this is, reserve. Um, but it, it just, yeah. it was, it was baffling to me how, how, like, like just what was going on? I, I, now, I want, I want to break one of my own rules. I kind of want to spoil a scene in the middle of this film just because of how, how sure. stupid it okay. is. So if you're, if you're really interested in Violet and you don't want to have the scene spoiled for you, then then skip it she runs into an ex in a parking lot waiting to pay for a, a meter and she's like oh my god you know it's saying he's like yeah he's gonna talk to you because you're a piece of shit and she's like oh my god i just gotta like pay for this and get out of here real fast but the person's taking too long to pay she gets stuck in a conversation with him so all those things i was telling you about before are happening during this conversation but then additionally you're flashing back in time during the conversation to a time where she's about to leave her apartment and she goes over to the bookshelf where she has four candles and she's about to start blowing the candles out. And the voice in her head's like, don't blow those candles out. What? You're always too cautious. Just leave the candles. It's okay to leave with candles burning. Just do it. Don't be so cautious all the time. Live a little. So she leaves and burns down the apartment. 
because the voice in her head didn't want her to be too cautious and blow them out. Like, it's one, it's one thing to be like, oh, I'm not going to go out with you guys because, like, car crashes happen. And like, like th- there's one thing between, like, not doing a task and being social and just not blowing out candles. Like, no one would know the candle was even burning. So why would the voice be telling you to blow it out, not blow it out? Because it's not like anybody's going to be like, right. oh, wow, she's a wild one. She left those candles going. And it's like this relationship with the guy she's now in the parking lot ended because she burned down his apartment and he was like i can't take this shit you're too crazy like it i i I, like as soon as the voice was like don't blow out those candles i was like she's gonna burn down this apartment this is dumb so that's violet wow (laughs) sounds like a movie i will not watch yeah i i I, like i almost wished you guys could have seen it just so i could be like I, i i like as, as far as I know, like, this movie doesn't exist, and I just went into a fugue state and, like, dreamt it, right? Like, it's, <laughs> it's, like, it's really baffling to me uh, what this film's doing, and I, I, and it makes me sad, because, I mean, it seemed, it seemed interesting, and I, when it started, I was like, okay, like, let's see where this goes, and immediately, I was like, oh, no, oh, it's doing this. Like, I, I, I had mentioned... I'd mentioned sort of some of this stuff in like a group chat uh, at work with some other people who were watching the festival. And like Julius was like, did they show the Fox? <laughs> and literally five minutes later, cause I was talking about the, the, the intercutting with like stock footage of things decaying. Stock footage, and he yeah. asked if it was the specific Fox and I knew exactly what Fox he was talking about. And literally five minutes later, they used that, that shot of the Fox decaying. And I was like, <laughs> that's this fucking movie. That's, that's the movie I'm watching right now. Like this is it. Yeah. So yeah, so that's a festival. Wow. <laughs> See, as we said, there were... So this is the, the voice in Christopher Schnazy's head is directing a film while he watches it, and the film changes depending on whatever he thinks. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, but yeah, so there, there was more things that I caught, but I don't really want to sink up too much time going into a bunch of things that were mostly fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thanks for asking. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's going to do it, I think, uh, for our review of of uh, the South by Southwest Film Festival for 2021. Um, so, Stephen Miller, if people want to find you that week, where can they do that? Uh, if people want to find me, they can go to twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at ChristopherInRealLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so on Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want the episodes to go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoiler warning, facebook.com slash the spoiler warning, or instagram.com slash the spoiler warning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at the spoiler or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the little jingle that happened in South by Southwest. Um, I did not recall. Yeah, I think I remember a jingle. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're definitely every single episode started with like little titles and like a little jingle. I don't know if that's a video that's on YouTube that I can find. Um, but if that's there, it's going to be there. Otherwise, it's going to be some random other thing <laughs> that uh, you'll be listening to right now. Um, but yeah, so that was that, that was it. That, that, that's our review talking about South by Southwest. We now have to go take off and uh, assemble a team to take on uh, Stefan Wolf. <laughs> so, 
get ready for our, our review of Zack Snyder's Justice League. Bye. Bye.